Amen. Well, thank you for being here this morning. Excited to uh, worship the Lord together, not only through song, but through the reading and the preaching of His Word. If you will, turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 39. And that is where we will wrap up our current sermon series, The Power of Thanksgiving. Uh, I've been telling you all along, instead of jumping straight to Christmas, my hope has been that we could spend just a little bit of time looking together at the importance of Thanksgiving and the power that comes with it. Uh, For those of you who haven't been here all month, let me give you just a short recap. Throughout this entire month, we have seen through the story of Cain and Abel that a thankful heart is what leads to our offerings being accepted by God. In other words, if your heart is not in the right place, God is not expecting any good offerings from you. Because that is where it starts. Your heart must be in the right place. It leads to your offerings being accepted by God. And through that acceptance of God is where we find that we can live in God's presence. We've seen from the story of Noah that obedience leads to thanksgiving. And although we don't always like that word obedience, we find that it's important because obedience leads to thanksgiving and thanksgiving leads to God's protection. And then from Abraham and Isaac last week we saw that if we are to give back to God all of the things that we want, then He is faithful to supply our every need. And that represents to us God's provision. And so then finally today, we're going to be finishing, making our way through the vast majority of the book of Genesis as we look to the story of Joseph to find a fourth and final power of thanksgiving, and that is God's peace. We know that the patriarchal line of the Israelites begins with Abraham. It then proceeds to Isaac and thirdly, Jacob. And whereas we won't be spending our time today looking at the life of Jacob, we will be looking at the lives of Jacob's sons, who would later become the leaders of the twelve tribes of Israel. Most importantly of those sons today being Joseph. The difference, though, between this story of Joseph and the other three stories that we've looked at so far is that we never really see Joseph offering up thanksgiving to God. In other words, we never see him making any sacrifices to God. It's not recorded there for us. But still, I believe that he is a model to follow because of the case that I have been setting up for us all month long, that if we live a life of thanksgiving, if you are truly thankful, then these different things, these different powers will be evident in our lives. If we are truly thankful, then we will have God's presence. If we are truly thankful, then we will have God's protection. If we are truly thankful, then we will have God's provision. And I believe that we find these things clearly in Joseph's story. I know that his story as a whole is familiar to most of us, so I'm not going to spend the time today going into the story in detail, Uh, not only because most of you know it, but it, it also starts all the way in Genesis chapter 37 and goes through Genesis chapter 50. So for sake of time, I'm just going to focus here and highlight on the fact that Joseph really went through some highs and some lows in his life. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Some highs and some lows in your life. In fact, if there is any person in the Bible whose life could be compared to a roller coaster, I would say that Joseph is the man. And through it all, what I want you to notice with me is that he was able to stay in tune to his relationship with God and also to God's plan for his life. 
Genesis chapter 37 is the first time we are introduced to Joseph. At this point, he is in a high time of his life because we find there that he is his father's favorite son. And because of that, he receives special treatment, such as being given that famous coat of many colors, right? But as great as Jacob's love seemed to Joseph, it was quite frustrating to his brothers. And as Joseph is 17 years of age, he begins to have different dreams at night. And as he explains those dreams to his family, it really causes some more tension between him and his brothers. One day, Joseph goes out into the field with his family. And his brothers were there, and they see him coming. And the scriptures tell us that before he was even there, they saw him off in the distance, and they conspired in their hearts to kill their brother. And so he gets there, and they throw him into the bottom of a pit. But before actually killing him, one of the brothers speaks up and has this great idea. Hey, instead of killing him and getting nothing, why don't we sell him into slavery? Because here come some traitors, by the way. And so they sell him into slavery to make a little profit. And if you can stop here and try to imagine with me the hurt and the discouragement that Joseph must have been feeling at this time, I believe that we can automatically classify this time as a low point in his life. Don't you think? Highs and lows. Highs and lows. In in chapter 39 is where we find that the uh, story of Joseph there in Potiphar's house. And I believe that this is a very good example to us of the life of thanksgiving that Joseph lived because of the benefits that we find from his relationship to God. This is kind of putting all the pieces together of what we've been studying all month long here in Genesis chapter 39. Right from the beginning, we find in verse 2 that the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Verse 3 tells us, And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper In his hand. I don't know what that sounds like to you, but I read that and it sticks out in my mind that Joseph was continually experiencing God's presence in his life. Joseph was in in God. God was in Joseph and the two of them had this relationship together. Moving on into verses 4 and 5, we read, So Joseph found favor in his sight, speaking of Potiphar, and he served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. So it was from the time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. And so from this major promotion that Joseph receives and then also all of the blessings that were on the different things of Potiphar's house, I believe we find there God's provision. God was providing for Joseph, and not only just for him, but for all the things that he was a part of. But even when this high point in Joseph's life began to take a downward plummet because of the false accusation of sexual harassment from Potiphar's wife, Joseph still kept himself safe. And instead of being put to death, verse 20 tells us that Joseph's master took him And put him into the prison. And although in that moment for Joseph, I'm sure it's not where he wanted to be, as I hope none of us would like to be in prison, Joseph knew there 
that this was the place he was taken to because of God's protection in his life. And through it all, what I want us to notice today is the difference of how Joseph has responded so far to the bad circumstances that have occurred in his life and the way that most likely we might respond to bad circumstances that take place in our lives. You see, even after being sold into slavery by his brothers, Joseph remained sold out to God. So much so that he didn't even fall into the sexual temptation that was presented before him. And even when he makes the right choice there, he still receives something like a punishment for doing good. But all the while, Joseph is trusting in the Lord. We find in verses 21 and 23 at the end of that chapter, chapter 39, again, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority. Why? Because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made him prosper. And this is so amazing to me that even in the midst of Joseph falling into yet another terrible situation... Joseph still looked to God and lived a life of thanksgiving. And because he did that, because he made that choice, is why we see that God was still with him. God was still protecting him. And he was still providing for him. And instead of Joseph getting a sour attitude or becoming angry or becoming scared, all he does is patiently await for his next opportunity to see God move in his life. In chapter 40 is where we find that Joseph is running the prison. And all of a sudden into his hands are committed a butler and a baker. And this wasn't just any butler or baker, but we find from the scriptures that this was the chief butler and the chief baker for Pharaoh himself. And because God had not forgotten about Joseph in the jail, because God still loved Joseph, and he still wanted to use him mightily, one night the butler and the baker have a dream. And the next day is when Joseph gets this special opportunity to interpret those dreams. It turns out that just three days later, three days later, the butler was going to be taken from the prison and promoted back to his former position under Pharaoh. Also three days later, the baker was going to be put to death. And so Joseph sees this opportunity and he, he, he asks a favor of the butler for him to show him kindness by mentioning Joseph to Pharaoh after his release. And I believe that seems like a simple payment for Joseph interpreting his dream, right? All you got to do is just mention my name to Pharaoh and we'll call it even. But sadly, in verse 23, we read, Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And once again, after a high point in Joseph's life where he has just been used by God to interpret dreams, after having this glimmer of hope that this task was going to lead to his release, another punch in the gut comes as the butler forgets to mention Joseph to Pharaoh. 
And, and once again, church, are you realizing with me? Things are not going fairly for Joseph. It is one after another. But the good news is, things change drastically in chapter 41. And it all happened because Joseph stayed faithful to God. And instead of giving up and becoming blind to all of the things that he had to be thankful for, Joseph continued living a life of thanksgiving. It's after two more years in the prison, two more years after Joseph had been forgotten about and left in the prison, it just so happens that one night Pharaoh has a dream. And he needs to have an interpretation for this dream. So he searches through all of his magicians and all of his wise men. But you know what? None of them could interpret the dream. And in the midst of this dilemma, two years later, the chief butler realizes that he made a serious mistake by forgetting about Joseph who was stuck in the jail. And so finally he holds up his end of the deal and he tells Pharaoh about Joseph and how he can correctly interpret dreams. And so they call for Joseph. And they get him all cleaned up and they send him in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asks him whether or not he can interpret dreams. And I love Joseph's answer here. In verse 16 we read, It is not in me, but God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Can I interpret dreams? No way. But God can. And God will give you an answer of peace. And indeed he does. Pharaoh tells Joseph the dream. And in turn, Joseph interprets the dream. He says that there's going to be seven years of good crop, followed by seven years of famine. And he says that Pharaoh needs to choose a wise man to oversee the collection and distribution of the food so that everyone in Egypt and the surrounding areas doesn't die of starvation. And so immediately, Pharaoh decides in his heart that there is no man as wise as Joseph. And obviously, the Spirit of God is upon him. And so, in that very moment, we see that Joseph is elevated from prisoner to prince. He goes from all the way at the very bottom of the totem pole to number two in all the nation. Just like that. Highs and lows. Highs and lows. Immediately... After he is now 30 years old, Joseph collects all of the grain that he could, so much so that it is described to us in the Scriptures as immeasurable. The seven years of abundance was really seven years of abundance, and he collects all that he can and right in time, because as we know, time goes by fast, doesn't it? And the seven years of plenty went by fast. But now here are seven years of famine. And everyone is beginning to turn to Joseph in order to survive. And this wasn't just true in Egypt, but it was true in all the land. Especially as we see in chapter 42, it was true in Canaan. And Canaan is where Joseph's family lived. Chapter 42, Jacob, Joseph's father, sends his other brothers to go to Egypt to buy food. This wasn't much of an option. They had to go. If not, they were going to die. And so they go... But little do they know that the brother that they formerly sold into slavery is now the main leader in Egypt and is over all of the life-saving food that they so desperately need. How ironic. And when they get there, 
Of course, they don't recognize Joseph. They haven't seen him for many years. He looks a lot different. He looks like an Egyptian. He's not speaking the same language as them anymore. But Joseph recognizes them. And instead of automatically revealing to them who he was, he decides to speak roughly to them through a translator. And he ends up telling them this rule that you can't get any food until your youngest brother, Benjamin, who was Joseph's blood brother, the son of the same mother, comes back with you. Of course, that wasn't the news that the brothers wanted to hear. This is not how they were hoping their trip would turn out. And what I want us to take note of from this part of the story is the difference of reactions that we find between Joseph and his brothers when they are faced with adversity. Because they are very different. As we've seen so far, Joseph had a lot of bad things happen to him. But still, he had God's presence, God's protection, God's provision. God was with him. And he still lived a life of thankfulness. But let me read to you the brother's response here in Genesis 42, 21. Then they said to one another, We are truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. In other words, Joseph realized that everything that was happening was according to God's plan. And through it all, Joseph remained faithful. It's not that he wanted to endure the things he was enduring, but he was doing so because he remained faithful. But on the other hand, his brothers immediately, when they are faced with just a little bit of opposition, they turn back to their wickedness in the past that they felt guilty for. And they blamed that as the reason for their problems. Therefore, it is correct to say that Joseph had peace in trials, but his brothers had discord. And they didn't know how to handle the problems in their life. Skipping ahead this morning for sake of time, we find in chapter 45 that Joseph finally reveals to his brothers his true identity. And for us to truly see the amazing nature of this part of the story, and it is amazing, let me read it to you straight from the Word of God this morning in Genesis chapter 45, starting in verse 3. You can follow along with me if you'd like. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. You bet. Yeah, absolutely. They couldn't believe what was happening. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother whom you sold into Egypt. The proof's in the pudding there because no one else knew that they had done this. Only Joseph knew what had happened to him. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance so now it is not you who sent me here 
but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. How often do you speak in those kind of words to people who have done you wrong? Do you understand what is happening here with Joseph to his brothers? When he had revealed his identity to them, I'm sure they thought he was going to kill them on the spot. But instead, the opposite is true. He tells them, don't worry. Don't even feel bad for doing what you did to me. Because it was all a part of God's plan. Church, what faith. (laughs) What forgiveness. What understanding. What peace. Joseph must have had to say those very things. In fact, this is a beautiful picture of what it's like to experience God's peace that comes through living a life of thanksgiving. So that after enduring blow after blow, we never see Joseph questioning God, but instead, at the end of it all, he has the ability to tell his sin-ridden brothers, don't be sorry for what you did. Because it all led to God's plan being fulfilled, and it led to many people being saved. And I would think that this kind of peace that is being portrayed here by Joseph and that was radiating from him would have been something that his brothers would have wanted to grab hold of and apply to their own lives. But in actuality, we find, never once is it recorded in this story that Joseph's brothers apologized for what they had done. Never once do we find his brothers thanking him for his kindness and protection. But in fact, all the way up to the very last part of this book, in Genesis chapter 50, they stay consumed with themselves. And throughout their whole lives, Joseph was 17 at the time. All the way now to where he is 30 plus years old. They have never been able to escape the sin of their past. It has affected them every single day of their life. And everything that goes wrong in their life, they decide that it's all because of what they did so long ago. And they can never get their sin off their minds. After their father Jacob had died, they go and bury him in Canaan, as was his request. And in this end of the book, in the end of the story as a whole, we find that Joseph's brothers get together once again and, and they say in verse 15, this is after their father had died, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. And so again, they come up with their own plan to protect themselves. This time they send a messenger to go and speak to Joseph and they tell Joseph, hey Joseph, before your dad died, he, he gave a command to you saying that you need to completely forgive your brothers for what they did to you all those years ago. And still with no apology and still no thankfulness, the brothers go up to Joseph and they fall down before him and say, Joseph, we are your servants. But once again, Joseph responds in the same manner as before. In Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 through 21, Joseph says, Do not be afraid. For am I in the place of God? But as for you, listen very closely, church. 
You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. The only way that someone can respond to adversity in their life in such a way is for them to have the peace of God dwelling inside of their hearts. And the only kind of peace that I can even begin to compare this story to is the same peace that was found in our Lord Jesus Christ. As He was hanging on the cross being mocked and ridiculed and murdered for something He had never even done. He was absolutely sinless. Yet He cries out with the little bit of strength left that He had to muster and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You see, Jesus was focused on the bigger picture. And he knew that although he was going through something absolutely terrible, something he didn't want to go through, God, if there's any other way than this, let it be. But still he knew that it was going to lead to many lives being saved. And so Jesus stuck to God's plan and not his own. Jesus came and He died for our sins. He he made a way for your sins to be dealt with so that you don't have to allow them just to linger in your life and constantly make you question all of the bad things or the problems that just happen. But that we can have the peace of God which assures us of the fact that what Satan means for evil, God means for good. Now, does living for God mean that you're never going to have anything bad happen to you? According to Joseph, no. Because a lot of bad things happen to him. But if you have a pure heart of thankfulness to God, then your life will be lived abounding in God's presence, God's protection, God's provision, and God's peace. And it is His peace that will enable you to see past the immediate effects of your problems and know that God is still in the business of working all things to the good of those who love Him. That's what we know about Him. And so in looking at the differences between Joseph and his brothers and how they handled trouble in their lives, can I ask you this morning, which category do you fit best into? Are you more like Joseph? Or are you more like his brothers? Are you the one who has gone through many different struggles in your life only to lean more upon the Lord and trust that everything is happening for a reason? If so, then you are a product of God's peace. Or are you more like Joseph's brothers and know that there's still something not right in your relationship with God? And so when problems come into your life, you blame all of your problems on that bigger underlying problem that you're still trying to get past. But all the while, it's still there. If so, you know it goes without saying that your soul doesn't have peace. But instead, there's a lot of unrest inside of you. 
Church, we need God's peace in our life. We need it. Desperately. And the only way to receive that peace is to give our past over to Him. So that we can focus here in the present and look forward to the future. Not for our own selfish gain, but for His deserved glory. And so with that being said, let me tell you today, God is offering to you peace. If you need peace today, realize God is offering to you peace. The peace of no longer having to hide your sin. The peace of letting go of that pointless grudge that you have held on to way too long. The peace of moving past your regrets in life. He's offering to you the peace that you need so that you can respond to any situation in life that you're facing now or that you will face in the same way that Joseph did by saying what others meant for evil, God meant for good. Because He is a good God. And we need to be reminded of that today. Would you pray with me? God, I do thank You today that You are good. And I know that Your plans are the best plans for our lives. And that even when we go through things that we don't really want to go through, we're facing these things because in the end, you want to draw more people to yourself. So God, would you help us, those of us today who are true believers, to get rid of any past sin that is holding us back and hang on tightly to your peace so that we can stay focused on the bigger picture. Help us, O oh Lord to become more and more like your Son, Jesus Christ. And in this season of Thanksgiving, God, would you help us to render our gratitude where it is due, and that is solely to you. God, we deeply want to live in your presence. We want to have your protection, and we depend upon your provisions. But ultimately, God, we need your peace to make it through this life. God, I know that as Christians, we have not been promised an easy road. But instead, we have been promised trials and persecution. So God, would you help us to prepare for that which you have promised us more than that which we falsely imagine. Would you speak to our hearts this morning in a way as only you can. For we ask it in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.